Hello, and welcome to this episode of CFA Institute's Take 15. I'm Steve Horan, Head of Professional Education Content at CFA Institute, and I'm joined here today by Harold Davinsky. Harold is a renowned figure in wealth management circles. He's an author of many books and articles, and today he's here to talk to us about behavioral finance and the implications it has for the financial advisement process and even the investment management process. Harold, thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. I understand that you're in the process of rewriting your seminal book, Wealth Management. And in that first edition of the book, you have a chapter about behavioral finance biases and investors' biases. Can you highlight some of what you consider to be the most important ones for wealth managers to consider? There's so many. The answer is all of them. But um, overconfidence is clearly one of the top ones. Uh, uh, Clients are overconfident that they can pick stocks that no one else can, that they can pick managers, uh, the classic Morningstar, five-star. There's a a great study that generically is called the cost of a good idea, looking at how investors did based on the stock they bought compared to the one they sold, and it cost them three or four percent. So good ideas can be expensive. Overconfidence is really dangerous. Um, Another one is uh, availability. Um, We tend to respond to what we can remember, what we can see, what's familiar to us. Uh, uh, People buy IPOs, even though if you look at the data, IPOs are generally losers. Uh, Warren Buffett buys insurance companies and railroads, not IPOs. So there are lots and lots of these heuristics or mental errors that we make that get us in trouble. Then there's a whole field called um, mental accounting, which is kind of related. Um, I'm going to come in and say, hey, my buddy told me this great thing. It's, it's, oh, that sounds fantastic. You know, tell me about it. And it's, oh, it's going to make a zillion dollars. I uh, say, so, well, what do they have to do? Well, they got to do, you know, uh, local marketing, then a national. There's, you know, five or six steps. And how sure are you? Ninety percent. Well, the math is 0.9 times 0.9. By the time you get to five steps, you're below 60% probability. But those are the kinds of problems that, that we run into. How important is it for clients themselves to be aware of these biases? It's reasonably important, but one of the problems with biases is it's like an optical illusion. You can know something's wrong, but you still behave the wrong way. Um, so as a practitioner, to me, the most powerful concept is called framing. How do we help prevent or at least manage these biases. We're not going to get rid of them. And not only that, we're talking about clients. You know, we're subject to those same biases, so we need to keep that in mind. Do you have techniques you use to illustrate this, both to your clients as well as to yourself? Yeah, we, 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 we use a lot of things. We go through what we call a risk coaching process. Uh, it has a lot of questions in there, uh, partly to educate the clients and, and partly to, to get them to respond. My probably favorite one um, distinguish between risk uh, loss averse and risk averse. Everyone thinks they're risk averse. Uh, and it's a real simple question. We say, well, you know, suppose you walked into Vegas and I walked up and one army had 800,000 and the other one had a brown paper bag. You want the money or take a chance. Eight ping pong, white balls, two black, pick a black, get nothing. Everyone said, give me the money. So I ah, made a mistake. You know, you're in hell. Double walks up and says, here's how it works. Point to this army, owe me 800,000, take a chance. I said, well, I'll take a chance. Well, it makes no sense. Um, but we explained to our clients that they don't want to take a risk to get rich. They'll take a risk not to get poor. So it helps us explain why we may make a recommendation they're uncomfortable with that they're prepared to listen to, as opposed to a broker saying, we've got to make you some money here. Um, 
our quarterly reports for years, like everyone else, we did, you know, year-to-date performance, quarterly report, last month's performance, and compared to the S&P. And actually, when I wrote the book, we started thinking about, this makes no sense. We're talking long-term, and our portfolios aren't designed the S&P, so we do not report any performance under 12 months, and the benchmark's the CPI, because that's what our target is. So again, it's a framing technique. So you just mentioned how your quarterly reporting is affected by these behavioral tendencies. Is your investment strategy or investment policy affected by them? The answer is is yes. We've gone to what's referred to as a core and satellite approach, Uh, meaning in the equity, the core is designed to capture the market return, and the satellite is designed to for the alpha to get we concentrate all the risk there. and the goal is 2% over the market. But the fact of the matter is one of the most valuable pieces of that satellite is it provides bragging rights. Uh, it allows our clients to invest the bulk of their money the way we think they should, which is very boring, and it gives them something to talk about. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's very much a behavioral aspect. It also means that the bulk of the portfolio looks like the market, what they read in the paper. So we don't get this, how come my portfolio is so different from everyone else? So that's very much a behavioral overlay to the portfolio design. You had mentioned how um, clients will actually seek out risk in order to avoid a loss. And this is a phenomenon that was documented back to Kahneman and Tversky in 1979. Do we know something more about behavioral finance now that we've been through two or three financial crises since you first published Wealth Management? I think that what I've learned is... um, which I believed at the time, I, that was probably my favorite part of the whole book, uh, that it's for real, that we deal with humans and behavioral finance explains the nature of our investment world of our clients far better than any finance textbook does. Um, the other good news is now there are others that tend to believe it that used to scoff at it. Yeah, that's a good point. Harold, thank you for joining us and sharing your right. insights. Appreciate it. And thank you, our viewer. To see our catalog of other multimedia products, visit us online at cfainstitute.org. Copyright 2010, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.